This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The market failure framework presents avenues for new government interventions in various parts of the economy. But supposed market failures are rarely compared to government failures that often come along with intervention. Cato's Ryan Bourne is author of a new paper, How Market Failure Arguments Lead to Misguided Policy, available today. When people have identified some problem in the private sector, they often throw out the words market failure. And what does a market failure mean technically in, you know, from our years of economics literature? What does that mean? Well, the origins of the term market failure came about from a very specific academic literature in the 1950s. Um, and that's pretty much how politicians and lots of policy advocates seem to use it uh, today, which is is broadly that if a market fails to comply with the tenets of a perfectly competitive market, if, it, if it's not um, got perfect information, if there's not large numbers of firms competing, if there's any externalities or transactions costs, then a market is said not to be perfectly competitive. So what you get in a lot of policy debates these days is that people identify what they perceive to be a problem with the market, they'll say something like, oh, there aren't many firms in that market, it's oligopolistic or monopolistic, or um, there's there's an externality, this, this activity is causing pollution or is, is causing effects of harm to others. Ergo, there's a market failure which the government then must intervene to correct. And the underlying assumption there is that the government can step in perfectly to correct that failure. Yeah, so leaving aside whatever government intervention occurs, the assumption is that because I, as an entrepreneur, cannot enter and leave a market hundreds of times a day, I mean, right, that, that's part of a perfectly competitive market is that I can exit, I can take these resources and move them into this other market if I want to. If I can't enter and exit this this market hundreds of times a day, if it costs me anything at all to search for employees, if I don't have perfect total knowledge of every aspect of this uh, market, uh, there's a market failure. And of course, economists understand that we use these assumptions about markets in order to get us closer to understanding some of the realities of markets. And That's per- right. And yeah. no market is perfectly competitive. No, very few um have those characteristics. It's a heuristic that we use in economics to judge how far away an actual market is or or potential problems with markets. Now, libertarian economists have always had problems with this framework. Milton Friedman, of course, noted that, yes, there might be market failures, but you can equally have government failures in, in trying to act. We presume when we say governments can intervene perfectly to correct things that they themselves have full information, that they're not acting on behalf of vested interests and the like. Um, We then had Ronald Coase step in and say, well, actually, a big problem is an absence of markets in many scenarios. There are uh, transactions costs between people, um, uh, between, say, the pollutant and uh, and, uh, the person affected by pollution. And actually, if we can reduce transaction costs, people can come to mutually beneficial uh, trades and deal with externalities through market activity. Then you have Austrian economists, of course, who deny the existence of market failure at all, uh, not least because they say, if we don't know what a perfect market looks like, if one doesn't exist, then it's difficult to know how it can be perfected by government. Now, what I try to do in this paper, then, is put all of those objections aside and say, let's presume that the market failure paradigm Um, from the 1950s 
is our framework for thinking about policy. What are the policy implications? And even if you take that as a starting point, lots of things advocated by politicians and by uh, campaign groups fail to internalise the lessons of that market failure framework. And as a result, they often justify policies that go far too far in terms of the degree of intervention or the or the uh, the height of the tax rate in dealing with those problems. Right. So if you have a market failure and you admit up front, well, this is a market failure. There are there are relatively few firms. Entry into this this market is difficult. For example, or any number of other ways, a, a market could fail. That needs to be balanced against whatever costs can come along with a government intervention. Yeah, and there are lots of p- potential impacts. So one example that I talk through in quite a bit of detail in the paper is alcohol consumption. So alcohol consumption is clearly something where you can impose external costs on others. The activity can be harmful to third parties. You have alcohol-related crime, uh, driving under the influence, perhaps two net costs in terms of healthcare. Though you have to be a bit careful with that because uh, heavy drinkers tend to be more likely to to die earlier and so claim less in the way of social security and uh, Medicare payments. Um, But actually, if you look at the the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates on the cost of alcohol consumption, they go far beyond just talking about these genuine external costs. And they highlight the main cost in relation to alcohol consumption as reduced workplace productivity. Now, nobody denies that heavy alcohol consumption can reduce your workplace productivity. But I would argue that's much more a private cost to the heavy drinker, not an external cost that's imposed on others. Because one would expect that if you were a heavy drinker over a long period of time, that would affect the wage that an employer was willing to pay you and and your job prospects. So much of the um, your decision to engage in heavy alcohol consumption is internalized through the effects on your own uh, labor market prospects. Now, the problem is, if you add up that lost productivity as, a, as an external cost, which is w- what a lot of these public health campaigns do, then what they suggest is a tax rate to correct for all of these costs that's far, far higher than if you just narrowly looked at the genuine external costs. And it's not just that. But if you start acting and start saying anything that people do, anything that that, that someone does that has an impact on their productivity of work is an external effect on others because of of their net tax contributions, for example, then one would have subsidies and taxes for almost everything every single decision that one could imagine, right? When we decide what careers to engage in, uh, whether to have children or not, what company to work for, all of these decisions could affect our measured productivity and hence our net tax contribution. So it's unclear to me why you would single out alcohol consumption as something where you worry about the productivity effects, but not whether somebody becomes uh, decides to become a public interest lawyer instead of working as a Wall Street, a Wall Street trader. Right. And the, the, the <laughs> another question that I would put to you is, why is productivity this measure of uh, import that would should govern individual people's decisions. Yeah, well, that's right. It it shouldn't. Look, we do care about productivity to the extent that it's a useful economic metric for determining uh, living standards uh, in many cases. And we know that countries with robust productivity growth tend to have rising living standards because it means you're producing more with with fewer 
input, so that's all fine. But what we should actually care about and what the original market failure framework does care about is economic welfare. And broadly, what the market failure framework says is, yes, there may well be external costs, external benefits of certain activities, but if a benevolent government can step in and correct for those, we should then allow people to make their own decisions um, about what to do with their lives, about what uh, products to buy, what to produce um, in a way that maximizes their own utility and, and that enhances the general welfare of the population. But as I say, this market failure framework is is fundamentally misused when public health proponents focus on productivity and, and narrow measures, n- narrow activities like alcohol consumption in this way. I mentioned earlier uh, balancing the whatever costs occur or losses that occur because of uh, market imperfections ought to be balanced against the costs of, of uh, government intervention. But of course, uh, we rarely consider in the cases of government intervention what choices people make to get their best life when they're trying to circumvent that government regulation and still get to a better standard of living. Yeah, so there's a big problem that I identify in the paper with with the way that market failure is used is that we often ignore when we're talking about these issues that if a government intervenes to try and deal with an externality on one product, that can then lead to substitution towards other products which can also impose externalities uh, on society. So one issue that I looked at was this, this war on plastic and in particular plastic bags that we've seen. Now, um, state legislatures in, in California and Hawaii and then a host of other major cities have banned or taxed plastic bags. And that's been justified according to environmental externalities, the idea that plastic bags, their production emits lots of carbon, uh, plastic bags themselves fill up landfill sites and they cause a lot of visible pollution and, and perhaps in some cases damage to ocean and marine life as well. Now that's all well and good and these may well be real effects but the reality is just unthinkingly taxing plastic bags to deal with those problems means that people then use other types of bags uh, because they want to carry their groceries and uh, we know that paper bags for example use substantially more landfill, uh, potentially have higher greenhouse gas emissions and deal in more waterborne wastes and there have been studies that have found uh, looking at the life cycle of bags that if you incorporate all different environmental effects to provide a better performance than uh, a single-use plastic bag, one would have to use a paper bag 43 times and a cotton bag 7,100 times. Now, clearly, lots of people do not use those alternative bags that number of times. So, in fact, by just focusing on dealing with externalities caused by one product, you can actually make the overall environmental problems worse than they otherwise would have been. So dealing with externalities, if done properly, has to be done in the round, and that's not always considered when we think about market failure. Ryan Bourne is author of the new Cato paper, How Market Failure Arguments Lead to Misguided Policy, available today. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 